The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein powered chicken bites. Talking about PE today, and I'm delighted to say Mickey Quinn is with us. Uh, a footballer with uh, MLO Colo, uh, Longford obviously, played in the AFL too with Essendon, and a, a, a PE teacher at St. Mel's College in Longford. Mickey, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jar. So, look, this is obviously something that we've kind of talked about in, at various bits, particularly over lockdown with you in the past. I, more importantly, what, what generally is your role as a PE teacher? And I, I'm not asking on a day-to-day basis, but phil- philosophically, what do, you kind of, what do you bring to it and what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, look, it's probably for me personally, um, I'm very passionate about um, being physically active and educating um, the youth in such a way that they can have the same kind of um, healthy, happy lifestyle. So, like, my mantra and majority of PE teachers is to educate um, educate children and teenagers of the importance of being physically active so that they can live a long and healthy, happy life um, involved in physical activity of all shapes and forms. Um, and that when they leave from... Uh, secondary school that in 10, 20, 30 years time that they still have a grow or an interest in being physically active and to understand the importance of it. Um, like And especially in this day and age and the way things are, we've gone through 11 months of a pandemic so far that um, kids' physical and mental well-being, uh, it's going to be the next big crisis. Uh, you can see it already with the obesity levels, but the mental well-being and crisis that's going to come from all this um, and the effect that it's going to have, it's going to be going on for a long time to come. Because they're going to get out of habits uh, and or they're going to fall into the two things. They're going to get out of the good habits that they might have had and they're going to fall into bad habits of... Uh, like screen time in particular is one thing that's... Uh, it, uh, we were fairly militant about uh, no screens during the week whatsoever at all. And now all of the schooling is happening on screen. So they're literally just sitting there, whereas previously they had to get up in the morning, scoot to school, run around at break, run around at lunch, scoot home, and then we try and get them out again. Now it's like they're getting out once. So Nathan was talking about his kids. Yeah, have Fitbits. and I heard, heard Nathan saying that about the step count. And look, at the step count's a great way of gauging and getting a rough idea like uh, of where things are. But when you look at um, this... CISPA study from 2018 where I think it's 63% of primary school uh, kids are getting over the recommended two hours of screen time and is it 43% for post-primary. That must be just 100% uh, kids nowadays uh, the way things are. Um, and you know, sitting down having a Zoom class or especially with P, it's not really ideal. Like yesterday a perfect day and um, just get outside and get away from it you know i had a, a leaving cert p class um, and you're trying to do teach about all the importance of nutrition x y and z and um, but the most important thing is just getting out and moving sitting them down they were after sitting down for four or five hour classes during the day last thing they wanted was to be sitting down again and um, like it's it's not conducive to what you're trying to teach. So you're trying to strike a balance. And I think that was mentioned with all the different conversations um, yesterday and so far this week that the balance is key and trying to get that balance across different sports in schools um, and for for everyone. Look, I, I, I'm not asking you to talk specifically just about your own school, really. But how much of an emphasis do we as a country place on? PE on the curriculum, 
you know, asking around anecdotal evidence, friends of mine who are teachers are saying, yeah, they do about one class a week or two classes a week max in PE. And then they were saying, mind you, they'd be doing three religion or four religion classes. Uh, so there's kind of a, there's a hierarchy there. You kind of see the role or the value that we place as a society on PE. Because I think schools are mandated to do at least one PE class a week and they can, a lot of schools choose to do the, the bare minimum. Yeah, look, every school is going to vary slightly um, with how hours are designated and stuff like that. But, you know, I sat down last night and started to jot down a few points and, you know, half 12, one o'clock comes and you think, Jesus, I need to get to sleep here because you're passionate about it. Um, and that's why I, I, I enjoy my job and I love it, that you're passionate about uh, educating and the importance of it. Um, do you know, there's such an importance placed on the leave insert um, that it's a defining moment in kids' futures or, or where they're heading in life. Whereas realistically, the, the six months or six years after the leave insert where people and, and teenagers realize that, hang on a minute, the habits, traits and skills that I've learned are put in place for the leave insert or around that time are what is going to live with me. Um, for years to come and that's why as a PE teacher for me in my opinion and biased opinion at that that physical education is the most important subject across the board that if you don't have your health you know all those other things that come after it is is secondary. Mickey do you mind if I jump in and ask like I'm out of secondary school 12 years now what is what are the kind of sports that are on the this the second level PE curricula, curriculum pre-COVID. Like, you know, what would you have been doing with the, the various classes and has it changed much over the last 10, 15 years? In fairness, there's been huge work the last, last five, 10 years um, with uh, the PEAI uh, promoting PE, the new Leave Cert P uh, coming on board for uh, the senior cycle. There's uh, the junior cycle, the NCAA, um, are designing a new curriculum for the junior cycle so first year to third year at the moment and they're looking for feedback across the board like they're huge they're huge changes and I think the neglect that probably was there in the past on okay it's just right we'll throw out a soccer ball and that's a little bit of an hour of work or half an hour of PE uh, once a week that's all we're getting that you know it, that is that is changing um, and I think the importance of it is starting to be realised and understand across the board, not just by PE teachers or in schools, that everywhere, how important it is for, for everyone's health and well-being. And I heard Pat Daly mention about um, seeing so many people out walking and running. And it's the truth that so many are. But at the end of the day, soccer pitches, basketball courts, gymnastics halls, uh, Gaelic football pitches, they're all closed, so they've nowhere to go. So, of course, there's going to be loads out. Um, it's just going to be telling where where we're at um, and uh, globally and as a country um, in a few years' time with, with all this. Um, there's The work that's been done, each school will differ with, with their P departments, um, but obviously there's guidelines there in place to try and improve that. And you can see it um, gradually from, from year to year, the difference that is slowly coming and, and that cycle has slowly been changed. And then I suppose the next step is 
how has that all changed in the last 11 months? What have exactly. The, you know, what, what, have you been do, what have you been doing with the kids now for the last 10, 11 months? Yeah, look, for me, um, and it's probably, it keeps coming up and different terminologies used for it, but making sport or making PE fun and competitive for kids is the be-all and end-all. And if if they're having fun, they can make it competitive. If it's competitive, most kids want that element of competitive. I think the way sport has gone, that it's competitive in the wrong nature. Um, right, we're going to play our local uh, rivals under-14 team and, okay, we lost them last year by five points. We're going to beat them this year. and Okay, we bet them by 25 points. That's a great result. But is that really the competition that you're trying to drive um, to promote skills and habits for that they're going to stay involved in sport not really like i heard them talking about the the smaller groups the the 1v1s at training making competitions to being creative with our coaches that coaches are making competitions at training rather than big 15 aside games or 11 aside games you know we try and do basketball uh, during the winter months um, and get a basketball for every student um, and, and let them out and say, right, free time, go three, four minutes, off you go, shooting, dribbling, um, passing, whatever you want. Um, and then a few kids come up to you after a minute or two and say, can we just play a game? And it's almost that culture is is bred in from coaching at different sports that, okay, game is where we want. We want that competitiveness uh, by playing a game and games is the be all and end all. And realistically, I think, across every sport that we're forgetting that you're trying to develop skills that can be put in place in games. The skills that you develop 1v1 in basketball, um, you know, put them out in a 5v5 game, they're not going to be uh, able to practice those skills because they haven't learned them 1v1. So you just gradually build up from 1v1 to 2v2 to 3v2s. It's a numbers game. Um, Whereas I think across all the different sports, GA, soccer, that we jump straight in. We want to play seven aside, 11 aside. Um, and that's where the difficulty start, that kids don't have the skill level then to mix it or, or enjoy that competitiveness and fun part at 11 v 11. So they're not interested in the, the sport and they don't like it anymore and they drop out. Whereas if you try and build a base of skills from basketball, soccer, gymnastics, any different sport, okay, very games heavy at the moment, but the importance of gymnastics, swimming, um, that kids understand that and get that from an earlier age um, is why it's so important. Yeah, that uh, multidisciplinary thing is, is also part of the, so the Sport New Zealand want to stop the early specialisation and they're pointing to all the research that shows actually you get better individuals, you get more talented individuals, you get people to stay for longer, and it benefits everybody as opposed to it being this competition for hearts and minds where you try and steal them away from soccer or rugby or GA or whatever it is that your professional or your own personal interest is. Can I just ask you about the stuff that you're actually specifically doing? Because you put up a really interesting tweet about what you're getting your, um, your schools to do. So you've got skills challenges and physical challenges over the next three weeks. Week one is juggling. Week two is keepy uppies, hand-to-eye coordination skills. Week three, Maradona 7, basketball and cooking demo. What's the Maradona 7? Uh, left foot, right foot, left knee, right knee, left shoulder, right shoulder, head. And then if you can do that, you work your way back down. Right shoulder, left shoulder, right knee, left knee, right foot, left foot. If you can do that, you've got a YouTube channel as well. 
<laughs> I'm not great with the technology now. This Skype this call was enough. Um, but yeah, look, at, I think that's, um, I'm really passionate and enjoy the skill side of things. Um, I'm very lucky to go to DCU and work with some amazing people. Um, you know, Catherine Woods there with the CISPA study, Niall Moyna, uh, Johan um, there as well. You know, there's some amazing, amazing people that you learn different bits and pieces. There's a motor control uh, unit, and that's what what we had to learn was learn a new skill. And the juggling uh, was was that skill. So, um, when you see kids trying to to learn how to juggle, and you're, what's the benefit of this? This is stupid. I'm fed up. Um, but off you go, try it. Um, took me a long time to get it, but um, it's that perseverance and the the resilience to keep trying and. I think it's the delayed gratification. I think um, that's something that has cropped up across the board, and not just in sport, but everyone wants a quick fix. Um, you know, whereas a delayed gratification that you're practicing all week, all month, and then all of a sudden, bang, it happens. Um, I think that's something that's so important to teach and for, for kids and everyone to understand that delayed gratification, you're not going to put in the work and it's going to happen tomorrow. Um, it's that consistency of work over a longer period of time that eventually, okay, it will happen. Um, and I think the buzzword in a lot of places at the moment is long-term athlete development, um, you know, setting up this long-term plan. And, and to measure where, how do you measure that? Um, and I think that's something that... Dublin is have put in things in place and um, it wasn't called a long-term athlete development plan back five ten years ago but what they've done and built has has led to where, where they're at at the moment and I think everyone's trying to catch up and play quick fix um, whereas I think you talk bigger scale um, and you look at New Zealand what they're doing that rather than having elite um, picking out an elite academy and training them and focusing in on them that if you actually bring a larger number through from the ground up that everyone's going to benefit further down the line at an elite level you hope that as you're bringing more through that you're not going to the dropout rate isn't going to be as high um, and then as a result you'd hope that the standards at the top is going to increase too um, but you know that's how do you do that for me it's by creating things that are fun and challenging and competitive for, for kids um, that they want to take part and try out. I think, Mickey, too, what you've touched on there is, is the benefit of the, the work that kids do in PE spilling over into the rest of their lives. The delayed gratification thing is a really perfect example of that because maths is hard or uh, French verbs can be difficult or the Tishel Ginnadoc or whatever it is in, in the other subjects. But if you, if you learn from sport that actually this is going to take time, I will be rewarded eventually if I put in the work and I need to have some patience as I screw it up at the start. That's a brilliant life lesson to learn. And the easiest way to do it is like if, if, if juggling teaches your kids how to study properly in other sports, then what a brilliant gift that is. Exactly. And I think that's the thing with P that as a subject that it's so hard to, to measure. Everything has to be measured and gauged. Um, you know, nowadays that how, how do we measure success or performance or analysis? Um, whereas how do you measure the friendships that you made or the resilience that you've built or that delayed gratification or that that feeling of of enjoyment and, and pure pure fun by, by getting out and being active? Like, And I think that's why 
PE probably hasn't got um, the recognition and importance that has deserved in the past. But if if anything, the way things are at the moment, um, all those life lessons and skills um, are going to be so important um, after after this um, pandemic. I know the new junior start cycle has come in for a lot of criticism and look, everything new always comes in for a lot of criticism. Some of it might have some merit and some of it might be just completely, we don't want to change anything. But uh, there's a large portion of the week is given over to wellness. Is there, a, is there a baked in percentage of that that is connected to PE or what, what kind of area has PE managed to chisel out on the new junior cycle? Yeah, definitely. I think, again, you know, it's no more than top down or bottom up with any system and then micromanaging and um, see, you know, the emphasis at the moment in trying to get special needs and uh, kids back into or kids with special needs back to school um, at the moment. And then all oh, leave inserts are the most important. Let's get them back into that. Every every school at the moment is going to be managed on a different basis and can deal with things um, differently. So the well-being in one school might be slightly different um, to another. An all-boys school in, in Longford compared to a mixed school in Dublin is going to be very different. Um, and that's up to to, to management in, in, in schools to, to address what is needed most. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I'm very lucky to be part of a school that is forward thinking and the importance of well-being is is valued very highly in a teaching staff and a board of management so that's something that we're kind of well aware of and there's been lots of discussions about at the moment how how that will look in the next few years yeah it's going to be super important mickey it's always really interesting talking to you thanks a million for making the time for us thanks very much lads it's uh, Mickey Quinn there giving us some very interesting thoughts about uh, the life of a PE teacher at the moment, but also the role that it can play. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm not going to put any individual teachers on the spot, but, like, we, we definitely need to have a conversation about the uh, hierarchy of uh, where we place PE. Bear in mind that 90% of the schools in the country are doing three times more religion than they are PE. And if we all think as a society that's the right thing for the country, then fair enough. But I'm not sure that we do all think that as a society, so uh, it's just worth pointing out. 0879180180, if you want to send me any texts on that, you can WhatsApp us free on that one too. Um, right, so I should tell you, Professor Niall Moyne, who got a mention there, is going to join off the ball tonight from half past seven. He's talking about participation and national fitness levels and much more as well. He's also somebody who's very interesting when it comes to talking about this stuff. But really, it's the comments that we've been getting from people out there that um, really is making this a worthwhile conversation to have. Coaching underage sport should only be about fun and fundamentals, says Keith on Twitter. That's it. I always felt my job was to try and get players to like the sport more than they might dislike any coach they meet in the future, so they keep playing. Um, Andy on Twitter says... I coach an under-19 side, fairly successful, but at under-15, under-16, we felt it was necessary to step up a year to challenge the group. Unfortunately, we lost a number of players for that reason. Luckily, the club has a second side and most still play, but it's difficult to accommodate everyone. Um, Liam says he quit sport because it got too competitive. Lines, he says, why would you play sport if it wasn't competitive? I think this is the point there that Mickey was, was making, is that kids want to be competitive, but they're also naturally competitive. So when they're in training matches or when they're in one-on-one, they're actually competing with each other at that point. And no one's saying that... Uh, we're not going to have competition. It's just that it's not the be-all and end-all until you reach the point in adulthood or under 17 where you're like, yeah, I want to do this 
and I want to do it really seriously. Up to that point, you're acquiring skills to see if this is your sport or if you're any good at it or if actually you want to spend the time that it takes to be um, somebody who is super competitive a little bit later on. And then Andrew Loud, one of our colleagues who is a reporter with Spin 1038 says, I don't know if you covered this element yet, but I went back playing club rugby in 2018, having not played in seven years. I joined a social team out in Clontarf. Work has limited training and matches that I could do and the club have been completely sound and understanding about it. Definitely a lot of clubs out there, <coughs> pardon me, that are willing to facilitate people like myself who are looking to run around a couple of times a week and it brings a fun element that would have been missed when getting into that 16 to 21 age bracket. It's true, isn't it? Like that's that's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, that was your experience. 100%. That's why I went back playing rugby last year. Like, as I was saying, I stopped playing when I was 24, 25, just because work was getting in the way. And it was kind of just getting annoying that I'd be going out training every Tuesday, knowing that I was never going to be around to actually play a match or anything like that. But I'll tell you actually how I got back into it. It was, I'd been, I knew I was coming up towards 30 last year. And I said, you know, like I'd been humming and hawing for ages saying, go on, I'll, I'll try get out. Even if I'm not around to play matches, it'll just be nice to, to go out and do a bit of training and stuff like that. And I can actually tell you the day I knew I had to go back out. I was doing commentary of Connacht against Toulouse in the Heineken Cup last January. And after the match, standing outside the Connacht changing room, just the door of the Connacht changing room opened and I got the smell of a changing room, of the like stale mud and dirt and like deep heat. And it just like punched me in the face. And I was back down in Terranio Rugby Club the following Tuesday night. That just like, that was it. That sent me over the edge. I knew I had to go back out. Um, and I think it's good, like it is, it's true what Andrew's saying there as well, that, that I think one thing I noticed in Dublin as well is at a rugby level, it's where I noticed this. I've, I've heard it similar enough with GAA. The sheer options that people have are just incredible. Like the amount of adult teams, I play rugby in Terranure. I'm playing on like something between like the fourths and fifths teams on occasion. So like you're talking five, six adult teams at so many of the bigger clubs around Dublin, which is just fantastic because it means that everyone has a level they can play at. And you're not going out training going, God, do I have to be competing with people who are playing All-Ireland League rugby? No, you don't at all. You can be playing at people who just want to have some kind of an outlet to go out on a Tuesday evening or the odd Saturday morning if they're around to to have a kick around and have a match. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites.